What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Deposit That Podcast. Today, I'm going to take you back to the 80s and 90s when uh, I was a kid, mostly, pretty much everyone listening to this was a kid. I know you were a kid, but uh, we have this thing that we do. We bring on, like, if you were going to the MLB and you were going to go up to At Bat, they play an intro song. So without further ado, we're going to play the intro song that I thought about for you. <laughs> you know the song? <laughs> the Wizard of Oz. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. So... So everybody, let's welcome Josh to the show. Josh, I coined as the Wizard of Oz Opportunity Zones. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. You know, a lot of people are, there's a lot of unknown about the Wizard of Oz and there's a lot of known facts about Opportunity Zones right now. So why don't you enlighten us on what is an Opportunity Zone? Yeah, so I mean, using your analogy behind the curtain, that's a good one. I mean, um, Did you think that was going to play that song? Yeah, that's exactly what I would pick, by the way, <laughs> going up to bat, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. you always wonder about like what they are, are thinking when they sure. you know, choose that song, but definitely, definitely <laughs> joking. But so yeah, Opportunity Zones, I think, are uh, you know, relatively new legislation, but has been around for since December 22nd, 2017. That long? It's been that long, but it's been with the IRS and different regulations and rollouts on clarifications. So as of I would say maybe two, three months ago, it's just finally become more clear as to the direction and the, the really that impetus or that the reason behind the opportunities on legislation. But it's been created with EIG, the Economic Innovation Group, for some time, and it's on the Distressed Neighborhoods Index. So it's based on census tracts that were from 2012 to 2016. Now we're in 2019 and, and coming to the later half of that year, a lot has changed since those census tracts have been measured. So do you feel like you're kind of hitting a moving target or trying to hit a moving target? I think, you know, it comes back to that opportunity, not to overuse the word, but the census tracts are antiquated in that sense of, which is the beauty of real estate and right. investing in general. Real finding, estate itself is antiquated. Right. And, and fragmented markets and, and having that knowledge base and, and understanding information where others don't. But, you know, coming back to the legislation, the governors of each state had up to 25% of their state to designate as opportunities. Wow. Zones. A fourth of every state. up Exactly. And then 5% wow. of that 25% doesn't have to be low income. It just has to be adjacent to. So there's a lot of flexibility within the governors to designate already emerging communities. We know most governors and politicians are not real estate people or no. business people. So how the hell are they the ones deeming this yeah. Oz? <laughs> I mean, they're politicians. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, right. So, Is that even a title? I don't even know. Like, yeah. I think they'll create it, right? If yeah. there's, there's some sort of... Uh, if someone's smart telling yeah, them what exactly, to do right. with and money. Absolutely. But they, they had the discretion, and you're right. They're not business. They're not real estate people, but... If they were to listen to the communities and have that pulse in their communities, sure. they can understand which communities need it the most and which other communities just need that additional spark. So define for me what an opportunity zone actually is. So, you know, real estate people, everything's an opportunity, yeah, right? Everyone's yeah. optimistic, right? Right. What right. is actually the legal definition of an opportunity zone? A low-income census tract, according to the census data in 2012 to 2016. So Hudson Yards, for example, in right. Manhattan is an opportunity zone. Still to this day, yeah, absolutely. even though it's rebuilt everything else. To this day, it's an opportunity zone. It's set in stone, these wow. census tracts. And we can talk more about the, the nuances and, and different things of the legislation. But Williamsburg is an opportunity zone. So, and it's uh, overpriced through the roof already. Like, no one I can mean, even afford to live there now. Avocado toast on every corner. Yeah, I mean, is that, sure. is that your 
visual of an opportunity zone? Not necessarily, right? It's, it's emerging communities. Do you nope. feel like people submitted facts and data from 2012? They were reviewed in 2017, not understanding that the market's been on a straight upward tear yeah. for that time frame, specifically for that five-year bull run. Now they're like, oh, great, perfect, Williamsburg, Opportunity Zones is broke. And you're actually like, no, 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 Williamsburg is probably more affluent of a demographic density-wise than Manhattan is when you factor in the homelessness and everything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, coming back to the governors, you know, not knowing real estate, yeah. I think they, they really fall into two camps, right? I mean, they're like, okay, these are already Williamsburg. We just want to get more voters. We want to get more support. So we're going to designate that because we can. It's the low income. And then the the, the other tracks are communities that need that government help and that are just completely not with that that spark or not seeing the Williamsburg type of transition, if you will, in terms of real estate prices. And and that's where the big concern is gentrification, community displacement. And that's a lot of the things that we talk about as well with double line, you know, bottom line investing and trying to mitigate community displacement. And how can you have that community be aligned within the opportunity zones and that investments and, and where everyone wins. I know it sounds sure. like the, the magic behind the curtain sure. on the, right. the Wizard of Oz, yeah, but you know, yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's talk about your background, right? So where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What was your past life? And what was the training trials and tribulations that you've personally been through to get you on this big stage of Oz today? Yeah, so it, it's been an interesting um, you know, career and then just that progression within that. So I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri in the Midwest. Um, Cardinals mid- fan? You can't get your driver's license unless you're a Cardinals fan. <laughs> or a Rams so, yeah, fan yeah, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. Uh, blues, obviously, yeah. is now yeah. a bit more prevalent, and that was a long time coming, so sure. that was good uh, Good to see. But yeah, so finance and accounting undergrad, uh, third generation um, contractor, real estate construction, moved to Manhattan as I uh, became more interested in finance and accounting, went through the CFA program, uh, Harvard uh, graduate studies in core and real estate, worked hard. First job out of undergrad, essentially, in Manhattan at Moody's Investor Services. So I worked at Seven World Trade, getting more from a DSER debt perspective on understanding on how credit works. And this was an interesting time in 2008 where credit had a whole new meeting. Didn't exist. Yeah. Or it did, and it just wasn't a good uh, term. Yeah. Yeah. But um, worked hard for about a year, got the opportunity to live in um, Hong Kong, Singapore, London, and Paris, all through Moody's and just understanding that credit risk and, you know, the modules within and how to analyze that. Came back to the States to work for Colonial Consulting, and they managed just at the time about $50 billion in assets. The B. 50 with, billion. With a B. Yeah, yeah with a yeah. B. And it's yeah. all foundation. I've never heard that B yeah. word before. Yeah, billion. we use that B. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, B, Oz. There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of different uh, jargons and things. But no, so came back specifically to work with nonprofits and foundations and, and endowments. And what's interesting about community foundations is, is that they can take on more risk than the average investor. Is it because they have more capital or they don't have to answer to anybody? I think it's the latter, right? So the liquidity within that, they only have to spend 5% and then anything above that is gravy. They wow. get to keep it. Wow. Right. So it's a big, it's a big shift there. It's huh? a huge shift. Yeah. So when you don't need the liquidity and you can, let's say, return 15, 20%, that's all Beautiful. coming back to the endowments sure. or, or nonprofit. And that's how they can have that perpetuity longevity. So you can take on real estate, you can take on illiquid assets and, and almost boost. without losing sleep at night. Five percent. Yeah. Yeah. So some have larger missions and things, and that's where I really start to understand like a double bottom line. If you were to give up two, three percent in investing in a social impact cause, sure. why not? There's a big why not. So if a Salvation Army or, you know, 
a larger community foundation, not to use any names and any, any specific uh, missions, but if you were to give up three, four percent in your five hundred million dollar endowment, that's almost fifty something million dollars that you could give back to the mission and the people that you directly want to help. Wow. So invest in what you want to invest and then use that mission that way. I just it's a delicate balance. Some people go over that five percent? Oh absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's the minimum just to maintain your gotcha. nonprofit status. But universities you're starting to see now with climate change and carbon emissions where students are sitting outside of the investment committees and saying, hey, look, we don't want to invest in fossil fuels. But when you look at the data, if you're to give up millions and millions of dollars, well, that means your tuition is going to go up. Are you okay with that? Or, you know, how do we figure out a positive way? So, you know, not to make this long-winded story, but at Colonial, we focused on positive screens and different creative approaches to think about that hurdle and double bottom line. So I worked with BlackRock and um, other fund and, and architects and was able to create a, a positive screen for a low carbon index, and it's called CRBN. It's traded on the stock exchange now, so I was actually able to ring cool. the, uh, yeah, the closing bell. Oh, so that's a good experience. It was great. It's trading very well. I mean, it's performing well as well. So it's just it's proving that what has happened in the past, if you were to avoid tobacco, alcohol, you would probably underperform. But moving forward, there's such that shift in mentality and framework and mindset that if you're not thinking from a social lens and everything work. that you do yep. is just is, Absolutely. Is, a, is a poor so business. Now they say usually like there's always like the 80-20 rule, right? Yeah. For every dollar you make, 20% of it should be going back into the bigger picture. Why are these nonprofits and universities and people only required to do 5% in your opinion? Why is it not 20%? Yeah. 5% means it doesn't even move the needle to the sense where like it impacts anybody. Yeah, so I mean we were actually literally just having that conversation this morning on um, – how that dollar of donation or how that dollar revenue goes back to the community. And it's tough. It's a business. So you think of nonprofits, it's just like a business. What's the margin on an average business? It depends, but let's say 50%. Right. So only 50. Which is high. Which is high. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. People try and get 10%. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. Right. So when you're talking about that 5% spending cap, you just need to maintain that business. You need to be able to hire hire the, the appropriate people. So that's why Colonial had such a prevalent business is because they took that fiduciary responsibility off of the community foundation's uh, shoulders and said, look, we will invest this for you because we have the background and the knowledge base. Now, are universities, endowments, all these people now coming to you and saying, hey, I, I hear you're the expert. I hear the, you're the Wizard of Oz. Hey, we have $60 million. What do we do with it? Yeah, so and and that's another fantastic point, and we're, we are starting to see that a lot more. Where universities, community foundations are starting to say, "Look, we may not want to be equity, but we'll be first lean on certain loans, just so you can get more favorable financing." So they'll take loans four, five, six percent, no problem, all day, just all to day. grow their money, yeah. or, rather than keeping it in the bank, or have that collateral for on our behalf wow. or something along yeah, those lines. If you default, then they get the asset. exactly. So then banks will look more favorable and then have that wow. more liquidity. So again, coming back to the double bottom line, not having that social impact, you're telling me that it detracts from returns and it not enhances it. Right. So we're focused on rent to own models where you, um, we've trademarked an OZ scorecard. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's coming. It's kind of like a golf scorecard where like you play by holes. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can call it a golf score. I'm trying to think of your analogy and continue yeah. on with it. But, uh, yeah. So using the, the front nine or back nine yeah. analogy, we have different sort of groupings of what we look for, and it's going to be financial education. Financial education to the rent-to-own participant. 
anyone in um, understanding about finance, right? I mean, we were throwing out jargon in terms of uh, Oz. Oz, I mean, IRRs, yeah. double bottom line, all of the different returns and, and things that... Which is way over the level of complexity that your average human brain can deposit. I mean, it, it sounds like English. Right. IRR, yeah. they're like, I heard of the IRS. Yeah, right, right. And I'm pretty sure that's not right. a good thing. Right. So whatever that, that looks. Sure. But yeah, so having that mentality of trying to at least help align the community. Is there resentment coming from anybody, though? In, in which sense? Let's say a poor community that's like, oh, and that you've neglected us for 50 years. Now, all of a sudden, you want to come in and improve our neighborhoods. Or, for example, you might have local politicians yeah. that are like, hey, we don't want this area yeah. to prosper because we make our money on X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Or maybe if we improve the area, we have to cut our police force. Are yeah. you getting any type of negative feedback from people or no? It's another great question, right? So, uh, yes and no, right? When we think of opportunity zones, almost think of like the Olympic model. When you think of the Olympics, sure. sounds great. Everyone loves sports. You know, we can open the podcast with, you know, who do you follow? But if you're investing in sports stadium, when let's say in Rio, there's rioting on the streets because the basic needs have not been met. At all. At all. Yeah. And food, no food, no water. Taking out more from the community in what you put in right. is, is not something that we focus on, but absolutely is, is a concern with opportunity zones and having that, and maybe this is a controversial subject. I don't okay, know. The like, Olympics. Like yeah, okay, all right. Well, yeah. so the Olympics, if they, uh, running with the Olympic model, not having yeah. that, you know, community displacement, not giving up those basic needs exactly like you were saying on saying, look, we made money this way. You guys have been neglecting us for so long. Yep. Of course. Right. I mean, it, it, that's the concern. And that's where the, the OZ scorecard that we we're trying to say is we're going to hold ourselves accountable because you almost don't know that it's predatory practice until, for one, it's too late, or you don't know the industry standard as well. So it comes down to communication, uh, awareness, and education. So do you feel like you guys are actually setting the bar for the rest of the OZ players? You know, we can say yes and no. We're always looking for other players to see what they're doing, see if we can try to help, see, you know, what the industry standard is, because it is a, a bit of a moving target. So you're basically making the yellow brick road, is what you're telling yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would put the song on, but my phone's locked. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, no, we'll yeah, okay, in. we'll edit it back <laughs> in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but no, where, where you are on the yellow brick road is, is helpful, too, because how do you know where you're going until you know where you are? So having this OZ scorecard, this is where we are today. Mm -hmm. This is where we're going, or this is where we plan to be. Mm -hmm. So one of our big goals is mitigating community displacement and not having opportunity zones in 10 years' time, sure. just three miles outside of where they are today. So that's ultimately what's going to happen in you know different communities that, with the Olympic model, taking out more economic benefits than putting in. There's just going to be low-income census tracts further outside of the city. It's just going to be pushed out further I'm not saying, you know, we're having the solution or setting the yellow brick road, mm -hmm. but we're trying. We're, we're trying and we're, we're trying to really set that accountability. It sounds like you're like laying the bricks with the proper foundation, right. or at least based on what you currently understand the rules to be. Yeah. So we within those bricks, we're having financial education, community like awareness and then a community alignment, which is job creation. So we're Huge. going to measure Absolutely. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Especially with the downturn coming in the market. Right. And then having that awareness and then mental health and then mental awareness. Biggest that topic way. ever. Yeah. Very controversial, but extremely important. Right. Um, and people have to have that discussion. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it, there's a lot of unknown with around those topics as well. Mm -hmm. They're different languages. I've become an expert in that over the past have you? You know, two years. Well, yeah. I've studied it. We need to follow the my own body. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Recap number two. No, it's so true, though. You're studying your own body. Yeah. And it's only based on 
experience, right? Like, right. it's like, oh, this hurts. Why? What's taken place to right. cause this pain to hurt? Is this old pain? Is this new pain? Is it muscle pain? Is it mental pain? Couldn't and say Especially better. in yeah. urban communities or underprivileged communities, yeah. I can only imagine how much they're holding on to. Yeah, you say it way better than I do, by the way. So that, that, that's exactly it, right? Just understanding where you are right. and why, like taking a step back. Well, there's a thing that they call, we're getting way off topic, which yeah. is fine. We can do whatever we want. We're yeah, raw, yeah. right? This we're all, we're all unreal. It's, it's, it's so hat. I have a funny story about St. Louis, too. You have to remind me. Okay. Super funny. Like, it's going to be really funny, actually. I have to really focus in on it. So can't open fight or flight mode, right? Yeah. That's what people call it, right? Are you in fight mode or in flight mode? Right. So shoulders forward is fight. Shoulders back is flight, right? Yeah. Figure that out. So they say most people that are underprivileged have nothing, live in squalor, for example, constantly in fight mode. So no matter what they see or hear, they're automatically programmed. They've been automatically programmed or triggered to fight, right? Sure. So when you go into these communities, you're like, hey, we're here to help you. They're like, no, screw you because you neglect us for 50 years. And now you're like, yeah. no, no, hey, we're trying to help you. And they don't accept the help because that's what they've been trained yeah. to accept. No, I, I, I think that's definitely true. And I agree to a statement. I think of Daniel Kahneman had a, a book called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. So, you know, back to your point on you, it took you this long to figure out your body. Started in 2017. So yeah, right. 30 years. And I'm not criticizing, right? No, right. I, I was just saying. Truthfully. Um, and I'm semi-educated. Yeah. yeah. Semi. But, <laughs> even if you weren't, it's just understanding that what has happened today has been your reactive mode. Completely. So when you think of fight, that's your, your short muscle fibers, if you will, yep. you know, coming yep. back to the sports. And yep. those are the triggers. And just understanding there is slower muscle fibers and that taking a step back and understanding maybe these are my biases. Right. So I don't think it's, it's wrong to have. Subconsciously even. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's wrong for anyone to, to be completely uh, leery or, you know, I get skeptical from, you know, money coming in. I, I would agree with you. Like, right. What has happened in the past? I, I think what you're yeah, saying. All these rich people yeah. are not putting money here because they're getting tax benefits. Right. Right. So, <laughs> right. you know, having that trend, why wouldn't that continue or what's going to change that? And then awareness and education, awareness and education and trust. And it's going to take time. So we're, you know, we're going to measure it over time. We're not, you know, the wizards of Oz as much as we like to say yeah. it and, and behind the curtain, but sure. we would like to try to have that. Uh, we call them minor victories and then have that double bottom line. So we still have to make money that it's impact investing. We want to make sure that that delicate balance that we're not giving up return either, right. because right. again, having that mission coming back to that initial analogy of, well, we could then just give that back to the community in the way that sure. we wanted to directly in that in that way. So making sure it's that prudent investing, it's a good project, having alignment is enhancement of returns and not mm -hmm. detracting from it. And that's the key. You know, one thing I learned is that super early is I get chills. You can see it on the yeah. camera. Like my hair is standing up in my arms right now. It's raw. It's raw. It's yeah. raw and real. The problem that I've always seen with real estate and lending, right? Real estate yeah. banking, real estate mortgages, real estate lending, real estate, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Is somebody gets lucky or makes money in a field, industry, product, program, opportunity, and then all the bottom of the barrel, bottom feeders try and come in to chase, oh, well, look, if if Josh did it, right. I could do it. Right. I'm smarter than Josh. Or, right. hey, I have more money than Josh. Yeah. Or, hey, FOMO, I have yeah. so much FOMO, yeah. right? FOMO, where they hurt the industry, right? right? And I experienced that firsthand at an early age of 21 in the mortgage business. Luckily, when I got into the mortgage business, everyone was getting out because they were all a bunch of pussies and like really couldn't yeah. handle and didn't know how to do the business, right? Truthfully. Right. And they were quitters. But in, I get it. You know, FOMO as well, like saying correct in the other direction. Completely. Yep. Now, 
three years later, when rates dropped to 3%, right. all the cowboys that got out of the business, it was too hard, too tough to close the deal where you actually had to work and know the business, right. got back in, oversaturated the industry, messed up the banking business, opened up mortgage companies with no capital, couldn't fund loans, couldn't sell loans off the warehouse lines, and hurt the general public, in my opinion. Okay? Yeah. Do you see that as a potential issue for opportunity zones? Yeah. So, you know, people with money like to throw it around. Absolutely. There's $6.1 trillion of unrealized capital gains Jeez. in the stock market alone. And, $6.1 trillion. And that's what we didn't even mention, right? So of the opportunity zones, what that means is if an investor were to sell a stock, bond, or business, yeah. no matter what it is, if you were to roll that into an opportunity zone fund, it has to be a qualified just fund. Just a fund. Just a qualified fund. You get that deferral of that initial gain of tax. And we can talk about how you, there's creative strategies yeah. to completely avoid that as well. But if you were to hold it within that fund or a piece of real estate or business for 10 years, it's exempt from taxes. It's not a deferral. It's not a kick the can. It's so an exemption. Just, I'm going to give you a crazy example. I'm just going to escalate these levels to much higher than what I did, right? So yeah. let's say, it, which I did, in 2012, I okay. bought Facebook at $17. Gotcha. I sold it at 20 because I needed the capital to then put back into my mortgage and real estate business, right? right? Whatever it is, what it is. I've done that a lot. I've had a lot of, picked yeah. a lot of winners, took little, small 20, 30% trades, which are great trades, right? All day. But they should have been long-term holds, but right. I need the capital for other ventures. Yeah. I buy a million shares of Facebook at $17, right? Mm-hmm. In 2012. Now today, that's worth 10 times more. So now it's worth 170 million, because, or more than that, because Facebook's yeah. almost $200 a share, yeah. right? I now have a big tax burden, mm-hmm. right? 15, 20, 30%, whatever least, it is, whatever yeah, comes out yeah. there. If I sell out of all my Facebook right now, let's just say, again, for argument's yep. sake, my tax burden $60 million, right? right. Potentially on paper. Right. I could take all of the profit made, put it into a qualified fund like your own, and never pay tax on it as long as the money sits there for 10 years. So it's even better, right? So it's a matter of not only can you just take that gain out, the principal, you can put in your pocket tax-free. So it's really split. So of that the principle of the investment, that's sure. $17 or whatever. That's, you can buy a boat, you can, you can do whatever you can put in, you know, spend it however you want. It's not taxed. Only the gain portion is put into the fund. Literally every penny you made. So it's, it's different than a 1031 exchange for real estate investors where you have to invest the entire lump sum mm-hmm. and then continue to roll it over, roll it over and continue to be invested. But the money's locked up for 120 months. For 10 years. Yeah. Now, can that person still earn interest on that money while it's in the fund? Are they going to be receiving dividends, payouts, whatever? Absolutely. I mean, it's tax still, free or not tax free? There's still the, the tax nuances of real estate within yeah. the opportunity zone legislation. So, yeah. depending upon how and what you invest in, sure. it's going to be those distributions that will, can be shielded from taxes depending upon where your depreciation shield comes in. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, you're going to have a basis. And then that's where they're talking now of, what about cash? Can I invest cash and not even gains into these because it's a good investment? Well, you don't have a basis in cash, not to get into the nuances of sure, the tax law, sure. but you know, six point one trillion alone. It's enough. It's enough to fund America. Right? One <laughs> percent of, of that right. over eighty seven hundred census tracts. Forget about it. It's a big number. A big number. Let's say ten almost ten million of just one percent of that. You think that's just equity in each census tract. So you put some debt on that, that's fifty. Who are the players right now that you've seen from an investment standpoint coming to the table? Is it big institutional funds? Is it small mom and pop shops? Is it, you know, family offices that have high net worth individuals? Is it your, you know, tech IPO early employee yeah. that hit money? What what are you seeing from the early stages of, you know, raising capital for your fund? Mm-hmm. Who's coming in? There's a lot, right? I mean and maybe there's just that 
different level of education, but I would say maybe 200 different types of funds, all different types, just because wow. of that incentive is so strong. So that, and that's almost beginning that wild, wild west, that Wizard of Oz sure. sort of, let's say, hurdles, because everyone has their own reason. And, you know, with the, the path of least resistance right. is, is basically electricity, water, and humans. So it's a low hurdle to create a fund a reasonably low hurdle to create a fund in terms of just getting legal and everything else set up through. Sure. You um, can get your sub docs and you're good pretty much. Absolutely. And there's larger funds raising capital. There's smaller funds. There's community specific funds. It really runs the gamut. And I think we're just making sure that accountability is there. So sure. the OZ and scorecard and yeah. performance, and then making sure that, you know, that Olympic model doesn't come to fruition, which is everyone's concerned about. But Now, what's your minimum investment for your fund in particular? If, say your average Joe listening to the show has some money, has a retirement, they want to put money in your fund. What's your minimum investment that you have? Yeah, so you know we're raising $75 million. We have to raise from qualified investors. So that means you have to have a minimum um, no, income, worth. Yeah, net worth yeah, or income coming in with right. the propensity of, of, of continuing that. But yep. the minimum is two fifty. We're making smaller um, transactions as of fifty k. For friends, family, associates. So a lot of our personal money is invested, friends and family as well. And then just having that alignment. So, you know, there was a couple of folks that have just sent us money they're saying because of the mission and they would have to pay the taxes anyway. Yeah, regardless. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, whacked yeah. either way. Right. Yeah. If I lose 40%, then pay what's, the government what's the, risk, what's the risk on paying the government 100%? Sure, so, sure. nothing. Yeah. yeah. Talking about raising capital, that's a big thing I know people are going to want to hear about, right? So usually, and I've done it for smaller real estate projects, investments, companies, et cetera, on my own, right? Very informal. Like, hey, here's a promissory note. Here's our agreement, right? Nothing fun level yet. Maybe one day we'll do that. When the market collapses, we'll have to raise our own hard money fund. So you start off with your own capital to pre-fund everything, right? Startup costs, everything. Then you go to friends and family and say, hey, listen, I got this great idea. Uh, Friends and family kick in some money. I like you. I trust you. I know you came to your first birthday. Here's some money, right? Or I inherited money. Here's some money. And then you go to the investor institutional pool. Mm -hmm. Walk me through that timeline, if you will, of from day one, first idea, hey, I'm putting my own capital contribution in all the way through raising institutional money. Yeah, and I, I guess I didn't even finish the the rest of my career and, and direct you know trajectory on how I got here. But um, after Colonial, I went to Lazard Asset Management and worked with families and family offices and in the the high net worth you know full discretion over across the entire portfolio. So you know having contacts within um, those communities, and then after that, I went to a private equity fund that focused on the Midwest and Southeast, and again just had those again more and more conversations with institutional or accredited investors. So that that was a big time commitment, I guess, throughout my career to have that those connections and those, those relationships above and beyond the friends and family. But yeah, I mean, back to your question on raising capital, it, it is a lot of upfront. There's a, a lot of, you know, understanding what you know, what you don't know, and especially with the legislation. So we were early. I think when we um, formed our fund, the legislation wasn't completely hashed out yet. To your grandfather then pretty much. We were grandfathered in and, you know, it's with the IRS rules. We understood the intent of the legislation. I felt very well. And just to give you an example, even just a year ago, there was no funds. It was just asset specifics because of the nuances of the laws and not to get into it. But there's no way that uh, you can just have an asset specific. That's not the intent of the legislation. And then not just that, there wasn't any flexibility upon the asset sale either. So for 10 years, you would have to hold that. We were saying for 10 years, you're talking $6.1 trillion 
all of that goes in on year one and you're telling me I can't sell it for 10 years, what's, what's that going to do to real estate prices in year it's 10? Yeah. It's going to decimate right. the, you know, the prices. Everyone's so selling. If that is necessarily going to stick exactly like that is, we want to be on the front end of that trade. But at the end of the day, there has to be some incorporation of flexibility. So you know, like I was saying, uh, the last three months, they incorporated more nuances in uh, rolling out the, the flexibility of asset sales. So Have you had to ch- actually change your fund documents based on new laws regulation or no? No. So that's well, what that's I was nice. saying. I mean, we were teed up Perfectly. precisely wow. for this because that was one of the outcomes in which we um, had in, in terms of the scenario analysis for the, the fund structure. Worst case scenario, we always felt, so coming back to your, your question on raising capital, yeah. setting expectations, you know, um, under promising and outperforming is really something that we strive to be and, and just making sure, sure, you know, being on time and yeah. all of those things yeah. on um, trying to do the things that you say. So uh, having those return expectations with the mindset of having one asset for 10 years, now we're able to not necessarily flip them, but we have the flexibility, which... Maneuver. You, know, you can maneuver. Exactly. So coming back to your Apple example, if the time is right and you're selling it or if you can incorporate... so. You know, it may have been the best move for you, you know, coming back to your, sure. your statement on, well, I should have held it. Well, you don't know. It's always easy to go back. But, right. I mean, Looking that opportunity cost. Yeah. 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 What did you put that money into your business sure. and, and different things like that? Sure, yeah, so, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be sitting here today. Exactly. Facebook, exactly. Put it like this. If right. I bought a thousand shares of Facebook today right. or back then, you know what I mean? 17,000, right. what it is today. Right. You know, it's on two, three hundred thousand, whatever it comes out to. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So why, why would a podcast? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know? no, I mean, there you go. Serious. But no, that's so we think about that. And then raising capital is, is extremely personal. It's something that is, is taking, you know, back to your point on syndication. And we, there's a lot of rules that we need to follow. So accreditation is one of them. We've, we structured where we can openly market. Oh, you can? We can. So you'd be like, hey, call me. My number is 555-5555. Uh, give me. 917-860. Yeah, 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 you can't can do that. We can say we're targeting 20 to 30% IRRs. Wow. And with an 8% preferred return. So you're targeting a 20% annual return. Minimum, yeah. Wow. So, and that's a 10-year hold. Oh, um, and that's just based on the fragmentation. We're investing in the Midwest and Southeast. The purchase prices are significantly lower yeah, than right. a Williamsburg or Hudson right. Yards, the, the, the conversations that we had earlier. And... When you think of, you know, the recession prices that there's still, let's say, three, four years in behind the New York's and San Francisco's and, you know, Miami. So I think those returns are reasonable. And like I said, I think they're conservative now, you know, the big syndication and and that's just those are the estimates and performa and all of those indicators and disclaimers are there. But um, yeah, so I mean, we can market. We're, We're starting to do that a little bit more, but you know, that's not necessarily our intent. I mean, our intent is making sure that that mission and the double bottom line is there. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a business and marketing is important. Um, so yeah, podcast and we're hosting events quarterly in some of the, the communities and, and where we're investing. All over the country or in certain areas? Primarily where we're putting money to work. Yeah. Coming back to that alignment of the community, the investor, as well as the, 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 the actual government and the municipality. Mm-hmm. So if you can have all three of those, being on the same side, I think is going to be very powerful and really not have that Olympic framework where you're not having building a half a billion dollar stadium when schools are being shut down. Gotcha. So ba- before we go into anything else, I got to tell you the St. Louis story. Yeah, yeah. So it was 2014. I just moved to a different bank, mortgage bank. CFO was like, hey, I got you and these uh, two other guys tickets 
to see this, you know, great national mortgage coach, you know, speaker speak. I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. I'm like, where? He's like, St. Louis. I'm like, oh, cool. When do we leave? He's like, tomorrow. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, when do we come back? He's like, 24 hours later. He's like, you're flying in at like seven o'clock at night. He's like, you're taking the flight out seven o'clock the following night. So I'm like, well, I'm going to be in St. Louis for 24 hours. And it was at the time the Rams were still there. Yeah. So 2014, they were still there. Yeah. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going Wednesday or Thursday. I'm like, well, I can't catch a ball game. I can't catch it. You know, I'm basically yeah. flying and flying out. Most of the trips I've done for business have literally been 24 hours or less. Like yeah, one day I woke up to flew, flew to Florida at 6 a.m., flew back at 4 p.m. You know, like it just yeah, happens yeah. that way, in and out. Bumble, remember Bumble, Tinder? Also, yeah, you, yeah, you don't look yeah, like a Bumble yeah. or a Tinder guy. No, but no. I know what it is. Okay, good. Yeah, most people do. Yeah, yeah. So Bumble it was just booming, right? Yeah. Buzzing at the Here time. We go. So I go with my buddy who you know is two years younger than me, and he never really heard of me. He's like, yeah, that's kind of stupid. So I'm sitting on the plane. We just land in St. Louis. Now you have to like land and wait to go to like you know yeah, Lambert, wherever. So I'm just swiping. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm in St. Louis. Like this is just fun, 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 fun. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my phone goes, "You have a match." I'm like. Okay, cool. I look at it. It's a St. Louis Rams cheerleader. So I stand up in the middle of the plane. And I'm like, we matched. <laughs> and my buddy's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, we just matched with a St. Louis Rams yeah. cheerleader. He's like, what the hell are you talking about? We then we matched. met them for drinks that night. You know, oh, whatever. yeah. yeah. And then we a had a conference day. Not a catfish. Not go. a catfish. But it's just funny. You know, it was like, all right, Bumble works in St. Louis. Yeah. That was my only St. Louis story. But, you know, one day I'll probably go back and catch a Cardinals game. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a good story. <laughs> you got pretty though. girls out there. Yeah. Yeah. Then, it's not bad. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, very yeah. cool. So back to the Oz. Yeah. Okay, back to Oz. Where do you see this being a year from now? Yeah, so, you know, we try to set those goals, like one year from now, five, and then 10. I mean, one year, let's fast forward in the sense of the amount of capital being deployed, I think is around 800 million, or at least being raised right now across of all funds. Back to your question on, on raising capital. So it seems like a small number, though, 800 million in the scheme of things. In the grand scheme of yeah, things. 16 million per state. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So um, when, you, when you talk about that 800 million, the regulations came out about three months ago and that really clarified a lot of things. We're talking about real estate, but they're businesses that we really think will have that transformative change. So the low hanging fruit is very much the real estate, the le- you know, the legislation, the law is very clear cut, but you can invest in a business in an opportunity zone and still get that benefit. Wow. So if a Apple, a Google were to be domiciled in an OZ, you know, having that capital gain or having no taxes, they would have saved billions of dollars. So you could almost set up like a financial education service center inside of the opportunity zone and fully fund it and invest in it and then run with it. Right. Absolutely. Or tech startups, you know, different incubators. Thought about putting together like not only opportunity zones, the real estate portion of it, but also ancillary businesses that would benefit from it that would obviously have to grow inside of that. Absolutely. Medical centers, you name it. Yeah. No, I mean, they're just complimentary, right? So coming back to St. Louis where there's a ton of pretty women and there's the Cardinals and all of the um, things that way, but yeah. the Cortex District was there and that's where, you know, there's two hotels that... Uh, you I know, was part the Drury from. Hotel. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, Downtown. Cool. Yeah. But you're there My for 24 My chief CFO booked it so he wasn't going to yeah. put us anywhere. You know, yeah. High end. Next time like, oh, that's go, good. Yeah, we'll get you set <laughs> well, up somewhere else. Apparently a lot of Drury Hotels yeah. supposedly, so we went to the wrong one initially. Okay, right, yeah. Drury Hotel, the cab took us to the wrong one, so... You know, next time, next time, <laughs> next time. But maybe re-converting uh, a Drury to a better hotel could be a strategy as well. But, you know, focusing... Well, that's the space that you're in, right? You're in that yeah, hotel space. Absolutely. So and we can talk about, you know, you have to improve the basis and this is how it, uh, it has to meet the regulations. But investing in a tech startup could be transformative. So incorporating technology, education, 
science in certain areas, which, you know, coming back to the fight versus flight and understanding that there's imagining a better alternative is another thing that we right. say, but investing in some of those, uh, you know, businesses, I think would be very transformative in that that's the strategy we're looking for. So real estate is, is very much the forefront. And that's where if we can do that correctly, kicks off a lot of cash that can just be redistributed in that way. Um, but that is very much the the double bottom line strategy to invest in real estate and then coming back to those financial education and businesses. Interesting. As we wrap up the show, we usually leave somebody, everybody, to listen to something that they could implement in their daily life or deposit that to their brain, if you will. What's one thing you want to give from your 30 years of experience, plus or minus, yeah. give or take, right, on this earth that you want them to walk away with? One thing? It could be anything. Personal, business, strategy, Besides wearing a raw, Motto, raw yeah, hat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, exactly. Definitely got to get a raw hat. It's a tough one. Only one thing, I guess, when we talk about on just what we're doing and, and how the impact we're having is, is that, you know, really just kind of focusing on being aware of, you know, kind of like you're saying, if you were to know more about yourself and, and understand on how your body changes, I think that that's helpful. So, you know, asking questions and, and being afraid and not afraid rather to ask questions why. So coming back to example, fight versus flight, you know, asking that and understanding and, and really just, you know, being comfortable with trying to understand the other person's um, perspective as well or sure. whatever that is, is happening. Sure. So I think that's extremely important and just being a bit bigger than yourself is, is that's something that people tell me, but I've never really heard of. And, and I'm always just trying to do and really just everyone has that story and, yep. and um, not that anyone's is better or worse. It's just trying to understand and, and break that communication barrier down. Interesting. Awesome. Yeah. So I really appreciate you coming yeah. out to the show, being our guest, you know, Thanks, educating man. people on Oz. And uh, hopefully we look forward to having you back on the show for a recap, maybe yeah. a couple months out when you grow, you can walk people through the transaction and your process down the line. That sounds great. Thanks for coming. I appreciate Thanks. it. Thanks for having me.